Welcome to Word and Table, a weekly podcast about liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I'm here, as usual, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Oh, great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America. Um, and we are coming to you from a very hot day um, in Oak Park, Illinois. Uh, but we are excited to talk about John's gospel, the, the final gospel. Um, and uh, Father Stephen, I have to admit, you know, I, I always, at, at least following kind of um, scholarship and, and thought about, you know, the historical origins of the, of the Bible and the gospels, for some reason I always got the impression from uh, folks that had written articles and things, that uh, John is the gospel that was sort of the most made up, or maybe like the least reliable of all of the gospels. Can you speak to that? You just got to get out more. (laughs) I laugh because actually more moderate thinking among revisionist scholars and the like is an exception that John was remarkably well informed of detail. Mm -hmm. The gospel really stands up very, very well that way. So actually, John's gospel currently in in scholarly circles is very well thought of as far as the details and things. Oh, okay. But it's, it's so reading it though, uh, it, it always seems so different. It was just a very, very different style of writing seemed to me very different themes than the other three gospels. So, so what's going on there? Why is John so such, such a different sounding book? Well, boy, you're exactly right. And we have a way we have, the technical term we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them synoptics. And what that means, syn in, in Greek means with. And optic means perspective, mm-hmm. a, a point of view. So they have the same point of view. It's like people at the side of a, some sport events on one side at the same, same place in the stadium are okay. looking from basically the same place. Yeah, yeah. And what we have John is somebody on the other side of the stadium. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the synoptics, the ones who are all looking from the same place, Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke, we, we can see that, that very clear relationship. They're, they're seeing from the same way. But John takes a very different perspective. Why? And this is sort of interesting. Because John, in the Eastern Church, they call him the theologian. Okay. And that means that he's the one who actually tells us what it all means. Huh. Y- yeah. Okay, so I've, I've noticed, so, so, so John is kind of like this other perspective on what the other three Gospels are giving us, but it's, it's the same, but it's like, it's someone who's there just looking at it from a different point of view. Right, and by the way, John, I think one of the mistakes we might make is we might think, well, gee, they're so different, we don't have the miracles, we have a few miracles, all the miracles we're used to, most of them and things aren't there, the stories, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah. Well, John assumes people have read those other Gospels. Oh, now, okay. you might say, well, gee, is that just because the church has always said that, which is true? But actually, there are internal reasons to see that. John presumes facts that you'd only know if you'd read the other Gospels. Really? For example, uh, one uh, classic case would say, remember John the Baptist? Mm-hmm. And we know the case of how he's put into prison, etc. Yep. Well, John, none of that had been mentioned. And suddenly he mentions the fact for John had not yet been put in prison, as an aside. Okay, just uh, hadn't, hadn't introduced that episode at all. Just it never comes up. Okay. Never talks about John being in prison. He said, oh, John had not yet been put in prison. Well, there'd be no reason for readers of that gospel to have any idea John had ever been in prison or would be in prison. Uh, okay, so you've got to have a little bit of background already while you're reading this. Right. Another uh, issue we have is they, they talked about, um, about Bethlehem. You know, mm-hmm. they're saying, gee, again, the, the argument was it was Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. And they say, well, don't you know that uh, the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, is the argument against him. And, of course, we know that Jesus comes from Bethlehem. Uh-huh. However, it never says that in the Gospel of John. It presumes we all know that. Interesting. Another okay. point, it talks about the, um, the 12. 
you know, the calling of the 12 apostles. We don't have any talk about Jesus appointing the 12 apostles in John. We assume that. And later on, for example, John says, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? So it assumes that we have to have already known that he went out and chose the 12 disciples. Right. It's, it's pretty much, I think most scholarship would agree that, you know, clearly it assumes people, people knew the story. Okay. And so John is really taking those and really focusing very particularly on what does it all mean. Okay. So tell me about that theme. What does it all mean? What, what does John say that it all means? Well, first of all, he's, it's interesting. He starts his gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Gee, that in the beginning reminds us of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, first yeah, line. In the does. beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's not accidental. I think John's already putting us here. We're talking about a new creation. But we're also talking about a continuation. This has been from the very beginning. This God's plan that this he's God's spinning plan, out. What's going yeah. on here from the very beginning. That word when God said, let there be light. You know, everything is created by a word. God says. And mm-hmm. so that word, the word was with God. And the word was God. So we, we, we put it in that context. Also, John, what I think is really engaging to a 21st century reader, is we ask hard questions like, gee, it's not enough people who always believe something. How do we know? How do we know things? Mm-hmm. He really is very honest about that. And, for example, a lot of things in philosophy, we try to reason them, but how do we know we're right? How do we not making mistakes? Yeah, it's not just opinion. And he has two big arguments. The first argument is this, basically. He said, look, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. From the very beginning, there was this Word. It's a person. He became, became flesh. He dwelt among us. There's somebody only one person would know because they were actually there from the beginning. And we've met and seen that person. You know, we've, that's Jesus. We've seen his glory. Glory is yeah. the only son of the Father. And more than that, we're eyewitnesses. We haven't heard about it. He said, I've seen with my own eyes. That's a constant theme in John. You know, eyewitness, I'm bearing you testimony. Hmm. So the idea of how would we know, we'd only know if God tells us the word. And he tells us as a word made flesh. Not just an audible word like the prophets. We actually have seen the Word, okay. the Word of God, who's been, who's the, is the is the visible reality itself, and we've seen with our own eyes. We're witnesses. He's saying this is our basis for for uh, for belief. Now it's interesting how it's structured here. Okay. Uh, first of all, he has seven signs, and I like the term signs because signs is a reason. We have the word miracle. Mm-hmm. Latin the word miror means is uh, obviously it's written in Greek, but we talk about a miracle, but I mean, it basically means something that like gawking that you'd want to look at. Wow, stare at. And so John doesn't use the term. He uses the word sign rather than miracle. Okay. You know, the Greek equivalent of Latin. So, so that suggests a, a, a bigger purpose than just doing something amazing. Yeah. Okay. It means uh, a constant theme with, with John is you don't look at the miracle, as we call it. Uh-huh. It's a sign. Usually looking at a sign, look, when I have a railway crossing sign. Yeah. If I'm one of those rural things, we just have the railway crossing sign. Right, yeah. I don't want to so admire the sign that I get hit by the train. The point is the whole purpose is that you should be looking it's for a train. to point you to something. It's to point you to something else. He says, don't get lost. Uh, remember, uh, for example, that might explain one of the mysteries with Cana, the first miracle. Mm-hmm. Is remember, Mary at first comes, his mother comes and says, you know, um, ask him about the wine. And he says, his hour hasn't come. So some people say, well, gee, of course he does actually change the wine. How uh-huh. is that true? Well, he's pointing out something. We might think that this was simply a practical solution to a practical problem. Sure. If you're the son of God and you need a beer run. I mean, yeah. type, of, uh, type of thing. But he's saying, don't, don't get mixed up with this. It's not about that. Don't get lost in the miracle. See the sign. Uh-huh. And it says at the end, it says, this first sign, his disciples was in Canaan and Galilee, and they believed in him. Mm-hmm. So they were looking in the right place. Don't look at the wine. And yeah. Barrels of wine sure. left over. Look at the miracle. That's the big theme. There are seven of these great signs in John's gospel. And each of them are meant to 
not just astound and amaze you, but point you to the truth of who Jesus really is. So, right. what, so what are these seven signs? Well, one of them is the healing of the royal official son. Uh, remember at a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one we would have is the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. The man who had been there 38 years. I love that story. Yeah. Do you want to be healed? Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. It's well, a great pastoral work. <laughs> the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, another one we have, too, is Jesus walks on water. Okay. Uh, the healing of the man born blind. Mm-hmm. And finally, the raising of Lazarus. And then we also have seven statements about himself. We know that God's great name in the Old Testament is I am. Uh-huh. And so what we have is he has seven I am statements. You know, putting in position, uh, you know, I am the bread of life. Mm. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I'm the true vine. Yeah. We have seven statements like this. But something else really special is there, there are four encounters. Four conversa- amazing conversations. These are so important in the early church. They were central to your becoming a Christian. Remember we said we talked about Lent. And there were six weeks in Lent. And traditionally what the church did is you started the first week of Lent was always the, the temptation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you would have the four great encounters of John's gospel and have Palm Sunday. Oh, okay. And so the first was Nicodemus. Remember, unless you're born again, you know, water in the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. We have the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah. She says, woman, I tell you, if you had any idea who it was who was asking you for water, you would have asked me, he would have given you, you know, living water. Yeah. And saying that the hour is coming, it's even now when those who worship the, the Father will worship in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. For such the Father seeks to worship him. We had the, the man born blind. Yeah. Once I was blind, all I know is once I was, once I was blind, now I can see. Yeah. yeah. And we have the conversation with, La- with Martha over at the death of Lazarus. Hmm. Lord, if you'd been here, our brother never would have died. But even now, I believe, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martha, do you believe this? Yes, I believe you're the, you know, you're the Messiah, the, the one coming from God. Yeah, yeah. So these, so these, these encounters are, they, they all kind of, they all involve people's faith, right? All involve confessing who Jesus is or coming to a point of confessing who Jesus is. Yeah, we should some of them actually talk about those. Of what, what traditionally, what were the lessons each one of those four? But we won't have time today for that. But each one had a profound lesson for a new believer. Okay. You know, yeah. for example, we take the, the be born again is, it's not a casual thing. Our life changes entirely. Yeah. It's, you know, Nicodemus, this is not a matter of, of a slight alteration of course. It's nothing less than a rebirth. Right. You know, it's, we have to understand how deep this is. The man born blind, expecting the persecution will, will, will come, etc. A different type of worship. This isn't religion like anybody's thought of it in the past. Sacrificing in the right place, etc. You know, it's what I'm telling you. We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth yeah. in, a very, in a very different way. And again, the, the, the promise of the resurrection, even though he dies, someone believes me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And all who live and believe me will never die at all. Do you believe this? Yeah. So, I mean, those are profound conversations of faith that, that we invited people who are preparing for baptism to go through as part of that process. Oh, wow. So the, the book of John almost kind of like walks new believers through encounters with Jesus. And um, reminding us those encounters is when we see Jesus, we see the Father because the Father is the I am. Jesus is the I am each time. Yeah, yeah. And another thing in John's gospel, I love this is we talk about the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jesus walks on the water in John's gospel, I think we might have mentioned this in another context, is one night he's walking on the water and he gets into the boat with the disciples. And it says when he gets into the boat, what happens? They're already at the place immediately. Mm. They're at the place we're going. And the story is since Jesus is God, he's the destination. 
to begin the walk with them is already to be there in a very real sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's the it's the signs that point beyond themselves to who Jesus is. It's the encounters that um, bring believers into connection with with the reality of who Jesus is. Well, there's a beautiful thing at the beginning of John's Gospel. Remember Moses, and in the in the Torah, they they famously said, you know, describe what can you say about Moses? He's so fabulous. They said, well, this is the man who spoke with God like you speak with a friend. Yeah. Twice it mentions that you know in Exodus, and again it's sort of an epitaph at the end of Deuteronomy. It's mentioned. Okay. But remember one particular day in Exodus. It's one of those good days. Ask, go for it. He said, Lord, let me, um, let me see your face. Mm. And what does God reply? He says, no one can see, uh, me, see my, uh, no, let me see your glory rather. And he yeah. says, no one can see my face and live. Uh-huh. So there's glory in the face. You know, the, 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 the two. And what happens? Moses can't see him. God has to hold his hand in front of him. So mm-hmm. he... But what happens in John's Gospel, the first chapter? We have seen his glory. Hmm. Glory. So we've seen the face of God in Jesus. We have seen his glory. So we've actually been able to do what Moses um, wasn't allowed to do. Right, that's why he said the law came through prophets, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. It's sort of like we talked earlier on. The the classic trope in the church was, remember the name Joshua is the name Jesus. They're the same name. Yeah. In the Greek Bible, it's called the book of Jesus, the book of Joshua. Mm -hmm. And Moses could only get you to the river. He could only get you there, but he couldn't actually take you into the land, to the promise. Right. So in the same way, Moses brings us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who truly takes us into the land. So John's gospel really opens up the the deeper meanings of of what was going on with with Jesus' life and death. And especially who Jesus is, because obviously Mm -hmm. all of the gospels talk in a profound way about who Jesus is and his actions. But John is particularly about the person of Jesus. This is why people who don't believe typically least like the gospel of John. I see. Uh, One uh, famous non-believing bishop (laughs) Uh (laughs) of another denomination um, famously said he just couldn't find anything he could really do with the gospel. Of John, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would have to agree with him that without a real faith in Jesus, it's not a very inspiring book. It's yeah. all about. It's more. Jesus can't be reduced to a teacher. Okay. Yeah. Well, how can we know the truth? We've seen God, the one who knows. We've seen him, and we have direct witness to that. That's right. the story of John's gospel. And then, of course, he, the revelation to his disciples, the Last Supper, the foot washing, etc., and the great his great prayer for us, his passion and his death, mm-hmm. and a great theme of this. It's important for us. We've talked about this is John emphasizes that this is all voluntary. You know, Jesus isn't a really great person who is in the wrong place at the wrong time, a tragic (laughs) martyr. And there's going to be real tragedies, people, wonderful people who are killed. No, Jesus came for this purpose. Remember, there's a prayer I love in John's gospel. He says to the apostles, how am I supposed to pray? Father, deliver me for this hour. This is why I've come. Yeah. But you know, theologically, the only thing God is the I am. The only thing God cannot do is die. Mm -hmm. He had to become a human being to be mortal. So Jesus, as we've talked about, his whole purpose of his incarnation is is to, in fact, be able to die. Mm. But he emphasized this is all voluntary. Mm. Remember in John's Gospel, we have a scene where they're coming to arrest Jesus, and they remember like in Elisha, the people coming are rolled back. It's only with his permission. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Mm. Mm. So the emphasis, and it says, again, it emphasizes to us, uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world, the Father so loved the world, he gave his son. So again, it reminds us of that unity of that plan. 
is yeah. you know this is the father's love for the world expressed in the son who's fulfilling his love for the father it's, yeah it's the common action of the trinity it's not jesus against the father it's Jesus and the fa- Jesus, the Father's love for us, expressed through the giving of His Son. Yeah, yeah. I always remember growing up that John was the most, um, maybe maybe comforting is not the right word, but it, it had the most to do with love and how God. F- I, I felt like I got most about how God felt about me, or how God felt about people through the Book of John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you'd hardly be um, alone among Christians who have a special. All of us, I think, have a a deep connection with the gospel of John. We can't imagine our, our life as Christians without yeah. it. So tell me, in the, in the church calendar, um, we ha- there's, it's a three-year cycle, right? right? And, and each one we read uh, one of the three synoptics. Right. Um, but why isn't there a year for John? Why isn't there a fourth year for John? Excellent point, because, uh, because we can't go a year without him, because he's a commentary in all the gospels. Mm-hmm. And so each one of them, get, we read John every year. Okay. The key moments and things. John is the one who tells us what it all means in, a, in an even deeper level. And so we always have John every year. And then we focus on one of the three synoptic gospels. Sure, sure. This year we're on Matthew, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Next year will be Mark, then it'll be Luke. Yeah, yeah. But John is common throughout. Yeah. throughout you might wonder, how do we know when that starts? Tell you a secret. Can't tell anybody. I'll yeah, take away tell, your decoder ring. Yeah, tell me that. So how do I know? Let's say I don't have a book of common prayer. Um, I have. I don't remember what we did last year. This is this has actually happened to me one time. I, I don't remember what we did last year. Where? How do I know what year we're in? Year A, B, or C? Okay. Well, assuming of course you're go- going to a computer, you'd find out pretty fast. But okay. assuming that somebody older like me is, you take the digits of a year. Okay. Okay. And so you add up the digits like 2017. Two plus two one plus, plus seven one. is ten. Right. Okay. Is that evenly divisible by three? No. Then it's not year A. Year A is a year evenly divisible by three, if you add up the digits. Okay. And then it goes A, B, C, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So so to figure out what year you're in, you try to reach for the most recent year that's divisible by three, and then count forward from there. So that one would be year A, and then if you're the right. year after, wow, okay. Wow. And again, the year is, of course, the church year begins... Um, Begins in Advent, mm-hmm. right? Oh, oh, okay, uh, you know, uh, it begins in Advent and then goes for the rest. Of it. So we're talking about Advent, you know that uh, right, that right. Year, yeah. So the but, but but we would take the digits of the year in which most of the the year takes place, right? Um, and see if it's divisible for example, by three. Why, why are we using Matthew this year? Well, it's 2017. That's ten. But our year began in Advent, which is 2016. Oh. Two plus one plus six is is divisible by three. Is nine. So you take the one. In which Advent, Ad, right? Advent, Advent starts, is the okay. start of the church year. That makes so we sense. take that 2016 adds up to nine divided by three. That's your A. Wow, math. But you didn't think you would get that in church. But oh, <laughs> we multiply loaves. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Father Stephen. Um, it's all the time we have left for this episode. And thank you for listening to Word and Table. Um, just wanted to mention uh, a couple of things that you could do for us here on the show. First of all is if you have any questions um, or anything like that, please email the, us on the show. Um, I'll be uh, including a link to email us in our show, show notes. But the email address is wordtablepodcast at gmail.com. And the second thing you can do for us, if you'd like, is to uh, leave a review. Um, give us a little feedback on the show. It helps us with our, our visibility, and we'd really highly appreciate that. Um, we'll be back next week uh, on Word and Table for more on liturgy, sacraments, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. <laughs>